Open Up Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Hildreth. With me, as always, is my amazing co-host, Christine Stacy. All right. Well, welcome to today's podcast. We are going to talk about fear, capital F, fear. With a capital F. <laughs> yes. Uh, so we've been chatting here a little bit about different fears we've had. I think we've definitely experienced fear a little differently. Uh, Doug's going to kind of explain when we're when we're talking to fear, talking about fear. What is what are we talking about? It's really important to understand that when we feel fear, because it is a feeling, it is a fight or flight response mechanism with our brain determining whether or not it needs to protect us or preserve us. And it's just preservation. It's a self-preservation feeling. And we register it on a biological level as a life or death situation. The reality of it is, is that in today's world, there are very few things that are genuinely life or death scenarios outside of catastrophic events. So for us now, as we've evolved technologically, our brains to a degree have not in how they register and respond to fear. Right, but it's very real and definitely keeps a lot of us, I know I can speak for myself, from pursuing different opportunities or talking to someone that we really want to talk to or standing up and sharing our story in front of a group. There's all different ways that fear gets in the way. Yeah, putting in for the promotion you want at work. Mm-hmm. Asking the person that you're attracted to or interested in out on a date. Right. In any number of situations, it becomes very real because we fear rejection. Mm-hmm. And that's what we have to remember is that even though it's not truly life or death, emotionally, in a lot of ways, it is life or death. Right. Because when we get what we are aiming to or we achieve what our goals are, that builds up our sense of confidence and reassurance. And if we've missed numerous times, fear can keep us from moving forward and taking the shot again because we know what failure feels like. And knowing what failure or loss feels like is equally as preventative as just never trying. So we were sitting here chatting about our fears and things in our life that we have experienced. And I said, well, tell me about a time that you were scared to do something. And I wasn't expecting the response that I got back. Do you remember what you said? I said that (laughs) I typically suffer from hyper-optimism. That's what we'll call it. That's what we'll call it. That I always have this overwhelming sense or belief that things are going to work out the way that I think they're going to work out. Mm -hmm. Maybe to a degree it's a little bit of arrogance. It really is, though, hyper-optimism. I have always believed that I could do whatever I put my mind to. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm entitled to whatever I put my mind to or decide I want. It just means that I'm capable of doing it if I'm willing to put in the work. And I've always known me, and I'm a hard worker. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's like, well, anything really is possible. Right. So the only thing that there is then to do is to address the fear. Right. The thing that you're afraid of that right. keeps you from achieving the thing that you desire most. Yeah. I definitely feel like I'm someone who maybe has a, a longer list of fears. Sure. <laughs> I struggle to find that hyper optimism aka for me the confidence and belief that 
uh, can do it. Sure. So I then asked, well, there's got to be something you're afraid of. Were you afraid to open your first business? And I said, I really wasn't. And I, it sounds goofy. <laughs> I also didn't know enough to be afraid. I'll preface that and say, if I knew what I knew now, I would have never opened the business because I had no business owning and operating a business at that time. I didn't have the ability to do it at the level that I would think is sufficient now. Mm -hmm. The thing is, I suffer from hyper-optimism and that when we went to open that business, I knew we were going to be successful. Hmm. I knew it. I didn't even have a business plan and I knew we were going to be successful right. because I knew that my passion and that my perseverance would help carry us through. So we are going to talk through some experiences in which we did experience real fear yeah. and kind of what that fear looked like and hopefully just shed light on some tools that have been helpful for us when it comes to facing fears. And honestly, at least for myself, we're very much in it right now doing this podcast and showing up and yeah. facing a fear speaking out and sharing our journey and for me it's just speaking period is <laughs> a little bit of a fear of mine especially when I can't see anyone on the other side so after we discovered that opening his first business was not something that he was afraid of I said well what is something that you feel like you had to come face to face with real fear yeah, it was, it was, it's surreal. That's probably the best way to describe it because I'm really good at compartmentalizing things. I learned how to from childhood at a very young age, how to just tuck things away. And I got to this place in my life where I was so emotionally uncomfortable that it felt like it was like beating its way out of my body. And then it was just going to burst out of me at some, any given moment. And I felt like I couldn't contain it anymore. But I was also equally terrified that if I sat down and told people the truth about what would, had happened and what had happened to me and what it had led me to be like and what I was doing and where I was at in my life, I felt so much fear and shame around letting that story and that truth out. Honestly, it, for me, like I always call this, it was a big coming out moment. Right. So what, just pretend for me, let's paint the picture. It's you on one side of a room and then a line of all the people you know on the other side of the room and you don't have control. It's like you're going to throw a ball out and it just shows everything all of a sudden for your line of people to see. What were you afraid was going to happen at that moment? That ball is my heart and soul and throwing it out means exposing me in every possible way. So what was going to happen, though? What were those The people? fear was that people would just walk away. Just turn around and walk away. Turn around and walk away. That I would be alone in the world, right? That's the real fear. I love people. Anybody that knows me knows I thrive in big groups, and I get energy from crowds, and I love being around large groups of people, and just engaging and interacting with them. Mm -hmm. So I, I draw so much energy and love and support from that. Yeah. My fear was that that would be gone if I told the truth about myself. Right. Because, let's get into underlying narratives, I'm undeserving of it anyways. Mm. Right? 
And this is where it all kind of ties back into all of the stuff that we talk about. But when it comes to fear, it will always tie back into my underlying narratives, which is that I believe I can do it, but I don't deserve it. Right. Okay. So let's go back to that picture. There's you, there's a line of people, there's this ball you're holding on to. How did you cross the threshold and let go and throw it out? You know, you get to what you call a jumping off point. We talked about incremental baby steps. So it was little things along the way that led me to that place, right? I had been clean and sober for over a decade. I had done a lot of work, but never touched this area of my life. I had only briefly opened up to somebody that was mentoring me about it and quickly shut the door on it about five years before. So for me, it was this just almost lingering thought in the back of my head. And we talk about self-fulfilling prophecy where I kept saying, well, someday it's going to have to come out. Someday I'm going to have to talk about it. Someday I'm going to have to bear this burden. And someday I'm going to have to be transparent enough to tell people what happened. I got into therapy, which we've talked about on here a lot. That helped because I started to discover that I wasn't just a bad person for letting this happen and that I wasn't less than for not speaking up before this. I never did any research on it. I never looked into it because I was horrified that I was going to find out that there was something wrong with me for never saying anything or doing anything. And it turns out I'm just like everybody else. I didn't know that. When I got to the place where it was like, okay, we're going to do it. I am an all in or all out person. So I just grabbed that ball and threw it across the room (laughs) because I knew once I'd got to that jumping off point, there was no easing into the water. There was no way I could walk up to somebody and say, Hey, I need to talk to you about something and casually slide in what my childhood looked like. It's not an easy conversation. And a lot of people aren't willing to hear those types of things because people, whether or not they agree with it or disagree with it, and I think we can agree that everybody disagrees with it, obviously, they don't want to sit in those kinds of emotions and recognize that that's real and happens in the world because it's ugly and it's really heavy. I didn't even want to sit in it. So what I did was I just grabbed the ball and chucked it across the room and I gave it to everyone in my life, said, this is where I'm at, this is what's going on, and this is what I'm trying to do about it. The overwhelming response was, how can we support you through this? Right. If I were to backtrack, rewind, you're holding the ball. It was a number of small conversations and other Um, tools of just your own recovery that kind of helped you get to a place you also had a therapist. Yeah, I was talking to a professional. Yeah. Really important to understand that. I didn't just crack open a book and decide, you know what I'm going to do today? (laughs) I was involved with a therapist. I was involved with other people in my life. I was beginning to disclose bits and pieces of what my childhood was like. Right. And of course, being in therapy, all of this stuff was starting to resurface that I had repressed for years. What I take from all that is that sometimes there's fears, and we might not realize they're irrational, there generally are, but there are fears that we won't solely on our own be able to let the ball go. Go. That we will need other people and 
possibly professional help. Correct. Which is a very positive thing. It was self-preservation. Yeah. And really all it was was self-preservation of my own ego because I didn't want to admit there was weakness. Right. Because that's what I saw it as, was that it was weakness that I had allowed it to happen to me and weakness that had kept me from speaking up about it and weakness that kept me from doing anything about it. Right? We get into all that self-shame stuff and those internal narratives Mm -hmm. that we tell ourselves that then overlap with the fear of just how it will be received. Yeah. And it's so easy to just say, well, I'm not going to do anything about it. And I had to have somebody else in my life. And you were one of those people who you didn't know the extent of it, but you were like, you need to talk about what's going on. Yeah. Because you had made mention of it a handful of times. Yeah. About my childhood and wanting to know, like, I wonder what your childhood was like. I remember you saying that. (laughs) And I just remember abruptly shutting the door on those. We don't talk about that. That's what I would say. (laughs) I don't talk about my childhood. And typically not in a jokey, laughy manner. I always had to make sure it was really clear. Yeah. That that was not something I talked about. Yeah. For me, leaning into that and saying... I'm going to open myself up and I'm going to expose myself. It honestly felt like walking into a room naked with a room full of the people you love and care about and just saying, this is me. Yeah. I honestly would probably be more comfortable just being naked in a room full of people (laughs) physically than I would be emotionally. Right. At that time anyways. Now I'm very comfortable with being naked emotionally in front of the people that I'm around. Yeah. Because it's authentic and it's genuine and it's real. And there's such value in that. Yeah. Let's dig into something for you that is similar. What is a fear or a moment that's been large for you that you've got to work through or process? I mean, I can think of a lot of little fears and big fears along the way. Let's go with a big fear. A big fear? Yeah, because people aren't listening right now to figure out how we walk through the little one. I mean, probably the biggest fear I had in the last few years was for me going through a divorce mm. in what felt like it was very public. You know, it's it really my my group compared to the whole universe is a small number of people. I may have rolled my eyes. <laughs> for me, that was like big taboo. Never in a million years did I ever want my kids to have two houses that they lived between. I was absolutely terrified to make that decision, but more so absolutely terrified to just almost be on the other side and be the divorced woman. Yeah. And all the (laughs) connotations or stereotypes that go with that. For sure. And especially having it be my choice. Absolutely. Because you weren't in, in a bad marriage. No. In terms of... You weren't in a bad situation. Nope. I think overall we co-parented very well and our kids were happy and safe and... Yeah, you guys uh, just grew apart. Essentially. That's Literally. Short that's the yeah. easiest way to say it without it diving into all the minutiae of what happens when yeah. relationships just kind of crumble. Right. Yeah. So it was more... So what was that like for you? Because you talked to me about the little steps. What were you doing... That began to uncover maybe even your unhappiness and led you down that road of of leaning into that fear and facing it. So I did a lot of work on codependency 
Oh. A lot. Growing up, just my mom and I and she being an alcoholic, I think I was the perfect picture of a codependent person and I knew really well how to build those relationships. It's like to my core of who I am, every little being of me feels this need that my purpose is to make sure everyone is okay and everyone is happy. Which is the definition of codependency. Right. And that includes people I don't even know. Right. <laughs> yeah. You have to make sure literally everyone's okay and everybody is okay with you. Exactly. Yes. And so for the first time in my life, and, and this, I feel like it's really important to be clear that this is kind of an ego thing too. Like, I had maintained for as long as I know into my 30s the perfect child. I took care of my mom, the perfect college student. I put myself through private education. I paid both of our rents. I did all the things. I found someone who, for all intents and purposes, was going to be loyal, be there, be a good parent. Yeah. And have a good Christian marriage. Yep. Like I did all the things. You checked all the boxes. I did. Which I, meant you should have had a happy life. And I actually believed that that was also what it took to have a happy life. But I also felt like I had to do these things. Like the, the shouldas and yep. all those were way more priority than like listening to my little heart and soul inside. Yeah. Similar to what I was talking about. Yes. The little box I kept locked away. Yep. When it starts to rattle. Yeah. So eventually, I don't know if it's a mid-30s thing or what happens, or having kids, and then you really start thinking about what you hope for them, especially what you hope mm. for their soul and just who they are. And I just started to realize, like, this, and it was such an organic and gray and not really tangible thing. This thing inside of me, I don't want this for them. I want them to feel fully who they are and be comfortable with who they are and not be worried about right. managing everyone that they know and everyone they don't know's expectations. Yep. But biologically, your brain says you can't do this because it's suicide. Right. It's okay. character suicide exactly. is what it is. Yep. It's status suicide. Yeah. It's community suicide. Yes. Absolutely. All the things. And my self-worth... How I feel about myself is equal to that I know everyone agrees with me, likes me, that they're happy, I'm happy, yeah. all the things. Yeah, because you are codependent numero uno. Yes. You are. And it, it's easy for us to laugh about because I'm equally as codependent in different ways. Right. So it's just funny because that is 100% your nature. Yeah. So honestly, I did a lot a lot of work on codependency. Yeah. I went to groups on codependency. I did a intensive study on codependency. I read the book probably one or two times, um, Codependent No More. And then honestly, it was just, I understood it, but it was getting it to like really sink in and believe that I was going to be okay because I knew I was going to let some people down. I knew some people just wouldn't right. agree. Which is devastating for you. Yes. Yeah, letting one person down 
is devastating yes. for you. I know this is going to sound, again, super egotistical, but for me, I felt like this would be the first time in my life that I ever did something wrong. And I know I've done other things here and there, but... Sure, but let that sink in, because how many people are listening to this that just play by the rules? Yep, and that is me. Even at a detriment or sacrifice to the self. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that it's okay to be eternally selfish or eternally arrogant or egotistical or self-serving. It is to say, though, that recovery or growth is an inside job. Yeah. And it is selfish to a degree to begin to break away from codependency. But the, the reality of it is, is that codependency is ego in reverse. Oh, yeah. It's not self. 100%. You're serving others to serve yourself. Yes, to help keep feeding your self-worth and self-esteem. Absolutely. And ego kills ability, right? So it stifles your ability to grow and be fruitful and progress in other areas. Yeah. And it keeps you stagnant because you're just feeding yourself with these behaviors. Yeah. Yeah. It was all the work that I put into it along with... uh, a counselor who's also specifically, she does work with codependency and um, does women's groups on codependency. And it was mostly through her and all the work I put in that I, I had to wait until I, it was more than just a thought and it started to become a belief that I'm going to be okay. Yeah. Even when people reject me. And then you did it. Yeah. What's your life like now? (laughs) Uh, I will say I am very happy. The best way to put it is I am me on the inside and on the outside all the time. Yeah, you match up. Yes. You're congruent. Yes. That's the best way to put it. And it's not like I am healed of codependency. That is going to be forever who I am and something that is a struggle. And I have to remind myself Yes. Of all the little ways, even still, that I'm like, oh, like today I really want a mocha, but people are going to, I, I'm a coach and I run a gym. I cannot have a mocha. Like that is a bad example. Yeah. But Uh, it's a real example. Right. Yeah. And that's the, you know, I mean, those are the, the minutia. Right. Of what makes us up. Yeah. The bigger perspective though, right? If you zoom out Mm -hmm. and you look, it's like you said, your inside matches your outside. Yeah. What better way to say, this is what facing fear yeah. really looks like. Right. Because what it does is it sets us free. Mm-hmm. So even if our fear is our business failing, right? just because your business fails doesn't mean that you should have never done it. Yeah. Just because your marriage fails doesn't mean you should have never gotten married. Right. Right. Those fears, those things that keep us stuck are the things we directly have to walk into and lean into because that is where the growth comes from. Yeah. That is where the gifts come from in life. And that is where perspective comes from. Because I'll tell you what, if you've never been uncomfortable and you've never faced a fear and you've never walked into anything and gotten whacked in the face with what you feel internally versus how you behave externally, you've not lived. Yeah. And you've not had much of much experience in this life. Right. And we aren't here for very long. Yeah. So to me, it's incredibly valuable 
to have feared and to have walked into these fears and to know that no matter what, just like you said, I'm going to be okay on the other side. That's the biggest thing is that I have to understand biologically, I'm not going to die (laughs) from dealing with my emotions, but I might if I don't. Learning how to trust the process, Mm -hmm. to bring others into it, Mm -hmm. to expose ourselves to it, Mm -hmm. and to be willing to be part of that process is how we live. And it's how we grow through fear. And if you do that, so for those of you that are listening, just beginning is how you commence to outgrow fear. All you have to do is start walking down the path directly at the thing you fear. And when you get there to the end of the path, it won't be there anymore. Right. And you never know what's on the other side. It's literally just making those steps forward. It is. Yeah, it's, it's faith. Yeah, it really is. It's daring to go the soul to go where the eyes can't see, which is real faith. Mm -hmm. Thank you guys for listening and tuning in with us. Thank you for opening up with us. Just remember, these are solely our thoughts and opinions here. We'll see you guys soon.